Hi, and welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm joined here today by someone you may not know, Ben, who works at Rubber Tracks. How's it going, dude? It's going, man. I'm chilling. Yeah, thanks for coming by. Uh, we, uh, Stephen had to take off early, and I've never done one of these by myself, and it just felt too weird to just sit <laughs> in here by myself recording <laughs> something. Yeah, I'll be your stand-in. Yeah, cool. so Ben was nice enough to stand in. Me and Ben have kind of a similar vibe. It's gonna yeah. be this is gonna be a super high energy intro. Cool. Um, and today on the podcast we have uh, Matt Pond, who is currently on tour. Tenth um, anniversary of his album, several arrows later, and we're also joined by Benny from Gaslight Anthem, who guest hosted. And uh, Ben, how's your week been? It's been okay. It's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know Brad's gone. It's kind of yeah. A, no, it's way more fun with Brad gone. Yeah, I don't have to worry about him yelling at me. Yeah, he, yeah. A lot of people who listen to the podcast might not see the the Taskmaster side of Brad, where he's just screaming at everyone. Yeah, abusing. You know, yeah. office abuse. It's very intense. But yeah, you never know if I listen to the podcast. But um, yeah, this is a cool podcast. You're probably not familiar with Matt Palm, but he's a mm-hmm. uh, he's a really interesting guy, and we actually talked a lot about like him kind of coming up and kind of kind of a violent scene and sort of in Philly and sort of, uh, mm. you know, the f- fights and kind of... Like uh, fights everywhere? In yeah, the fights. Like <clears throat> there's something, yeah, pe- you know, him him getting, yeah, getting like a bottle broken over his head. Like it's, it's very, this podcast are not way different than I thought it would be because wow. Matt's music is, is pretty, pretty mellow. But um, yeah, it was cool. He was a super nice dude and... Um, was it because violence in the streets or just like at shows or yeah it's kind of both but you know this was this was a long time ago you know this is sort of when he was starting out kind of down there um Hmm. and you know and he lived he lived here for a really long time and now he's kind of um upstate oh cool yeah you ever you ever make it upstate yeah yeah i've been going upstate since i was a little kid my parents had a house up there and in the catskills in sullivan county and it's uh, it's really nice. It's beautiful. It's just really desolate and uh, kind of depressed. Yeah. <laughs> At least where I go, you know, it's just been really, uh, there's no one up there except for Hasidic Jews. And the town is like literally a ghost town. There's every, almost every business that was a business at one time is boarded up and closed. Really? I didn't know yeah. that there was a big Hasidic Jew population upstate. Yeah, me neither. Well, I guess I did, but growing up, it was, they were just always around. There's like all these, they're really big on like summer camp and stuff. So okay. there's like a ton of camps that I guess they started. I feel like I have on such a regular basis have non-Jews educating me about Judaism. Yeah. Like, no, like, I'm Jewish. I'm half you Jewish. Are? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. <clears throat> My mother's Jewish, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they like to get away, you know, they also like to leave the house at, like, two in the morning with their entire family. Have you ever noticed that? Hasidic Jews, we're talking Yeah, about. I have noticed Very that. Very orthodox. Though. Yeah. They'll go for, like, walks in the park or something with the whole family, you know, like, little kids and everything. It'll be, like, two in the morning. Yeah, I guess that's true. I haven't, I lived in South Williamsburg for a while, kind of on the border, but I've never been, like, really in, like, the thick of it. Yeah. But anyways, guys, that was Ben. <laughs> this is probably Ben's last intro, but uh, <laughs> great having him. No, I'm totally kidding. Uh, but yeah, Matt Pond currently on the Several Hours Later tour. It's happening right now. Um, I think it's on the West Coast when you're listening to this, and then he's going to come out this way. I'll be at the show by Ballroom for sure. 
Um, it's in May. And I think that's it. So let's hear Matt Pond. It's going on What's up? We're here with Matt Pond. How's it going? Good. Hi, Matt. Great. Thanks for having me. Of course. And Benny Horowitz. Hi. Helping out. Yeah. Holding things down. We were just talking about Earth Crisis, which is the last thing on Earth I thought we were going to talk about. I'd love to intro with Earth Crisis. <laughs> um, they seem like nice guys. Uh, at one of their shows, someone was shot out in front of the Trocadero. So oh, that I remember that. Kind of put a bummer, like, you know, put a... a it's a bad way to have an evening. That's when all that like ninth circle stuff got really bad, right? Those that like Philly hardcore gang. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't quite. I was a little. I was in a gentler circle than the ninth circle. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I couldn't imagine you rolling with that crew. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I almost got beat up by them once. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was scary. I was filling in for Ensign, and we went and played the. I think it was either the kill time or the stalag over in west philly mm-hmm. and while we were playing uh somebody had tagged their van spray painted their van and i guess it was because of some pre-existing beef between some people from ensign and and ninth circle and i remember telling nate you know he was he was the one who drove me that day and i'm like nate i'm like i'm not even fucking in ensign I'm like, get me out of here. I'm like, I don't want to fight Ninth Circle. What happened? You know, like, I'm going to get killed. I was, like, young, too. And it turns out, like, this whole group of people is kind of forming. And I'm like, shit, what's going on? And I don't think it was those Ninth Circle dudes, but a bunch of tough dudes. And then out of the middle of them, one of them goes, oh, Benny. And I'm like, hey. And it was, like, this dude I knew from hardcore shows who I guess was, like, part of that crew. He was this guy, Cooper's little brother. And uh, and that ended up kind of like quashing it and letting us get out there just because I knew one of the tough guys, yeah, luckily. that's good. So being a chubby, friendly <laughs> 16-year-old kid can pay its dividends in the streets of Philly. That's, I guess, the lesson here. I was beaten up a few times in Philadelphia. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did you live? I lived across, I lived in Chinatown across the street from the truck okay. in a legal uh, commercial space that was like, 15,000 square feet and uh, $400 a month. Wow. Yeah, and it was awesome. So cool. How many people? Uh, Two. Not bad. Yeah. 7,500 square feet apiece. It was a lot of space. (laughs) (laughs) But it was also, you know, there's gambling and prostitution above and below you. And, you know, you're just trying to look the other way a lot. What years were those? long time 10-ish years ago 10-ish years yeah it's a long time ago i didn't, didn't know philly was so violent because i remember i i did a semester uh i did like this guitar thing at berkeley in boston I used to go to the middle east when i was like 17 so it's like 15 years ago and i'd go see like whatever like in my eyes or um trying to think like 10-yard fight? 10-yard fight. I saw Battery. And then I'd go to, like, more, like, I'd see, like, Anal Cunt or, like, heavier stuff. But every show, they'd stop the show, like, five times because of fights. Every show I went to. And I talked about this before. It's so weird. When you're, like, 17, I wasn't scared at all. I would stand right up there. People are fighting, like, two feet away from, like, that's a cool show. (laughs) Now it's, like, I see people upstairs watching people in the pit. I'm, like, ugh. Like... (laughs) But it, I didn't realize that Philly was also so violent because Boston was really violent to me. I'm from Cleveland, which was sort of violent. I'm from New Hampshire, which isn't that violent. <laughs> but we used to go down to Boston and we would get yelled at a lot by 
people from such areas as Southie um, being told to leave a lot and, uh, you know, forcibly with fists. And, it, you know, I those cities, I don't mind a little bit of violence. When it's a, a lot of it's directed at me, I, I stop enjoying it. You know? Sure. If I'm bleeding, it's not as much fun. Right. You know. Granted. So, yes. <laughs> That's what's important. So what? where did you go? Did you live here at some point? I lived here for okay. 10 years. I was just going over all the neighborhoods I lived in um, as I was walking here. Because I should know my way on the subways better than I do. Because I almost tried to take the C here. Okay. And the C doesn't go here. No. <laughs> no. But I'm sure this neighborhood is, looks so... I mean, this place... This there's a Starbucks looks, here. Yeah, there's a Starbucks. And yeah. it came out of nowhere, and it's enormous and right there. Like the right Starbucks the genie made it. Dude, there's one on, like, North 7th, I think, right off the Bedford stop, too. Like, I felt like they were fighting an offer saw, and then they were just like, fuck <laughs> it, we can't anymore. It's like, what's the point? It's weird. It's changed. I lived in Greenpoint right as people were arriving, when you could still get a parking space... I loved it, um, but then and Polish I, people still live there. Uh, well, I mean, I think they still live there. I mean, I still they like to yell at you, but if they yell at you in Polish, it sounds nice, and mm-hmm. it doesn't. It just yeah, yeah. Seems, um, but I, uh, you know, like Cobble Hill, Greenpoint, um, everywhere in Brooklyn, like uh, Clinton Hill, Bed Stuy, Fort Greene. I'm like, when and how did I live in all these places in such a short period of time, mm-hmm. and why? Like, I have no idea how to get around the city. Like, <laughs> you know. Because I feel like when you're wherever you live, you kind of just hang out kind of around there, maybe. I don't know. I live in Ridgewood now. I was in Greenpoint. Well, and, okay. And I sort of, it got too expensive. Like, I wanted to get my own place and just couldn't afford to yeah, stay in Greenpoint. Yeah, that's why I'm, I moved to Kingston just this week. So where is that exactly? It is straight up the Hudson um, on the left side. And okay. uh, it's um, it's just two hours north. It's it's a cool town. It's is it still, Orange County, Ulster County, Ulster. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. it's got it's got it's uh, it's a little rough around the edges, but there are great restaurants and bars, and and I think I'll have the first uh, basement practice room. Like my whole life, I got up to the point where now I finally have. Cool. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the dream, right? I do. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Just getting in your car, driving yeah. over, yeah. Sc- setting up in the basement. It's free. Play as long as you want. Oh, yeah. So nice. Yeah. So nice. It, it's something I think people forget who for bands who come from cities is like how hard it is to practice. You know what I mean? Like like the whole idea of like going to a drummer's house and setting up and yeah. hanging out in their parents' basement just like doesn't exist. Yeah. For those people. And then and so when you're in the city, you have to go to the painful pay by the hour practice spaces and i i you know there are good people there and there are good people running them but it's a lot of you know badly paid reggae to one side and you know oh yeah you know horrible cover band to the other side and you're you know it's it's a little it's a little rough yeah Yeah, and people kind of treat those rooms as like their own like bathrooms and you gotta like follow in after yeah yeah that's always that's always rough i like sitting on the floor in places just I like sitting on the floor, and I don't you like sitting sit on the on floor, floor no. in rehearsal yeah. studios. No, do you guys have a Do you guys have a space? No, no we're idiots. We just never got anything together. I have a basement now, so anytime yeah. we come up, the, I actually where you moved, I like a lot, and yeah. I would think about going up there. I would. I love the space. I love the the way it looks up there. The air. It's just it's a nice place, man, and it's it's so much easier than than Philly or New York or anything. You know, I, I think it's a cool spot. 
And you and you um you just always collaborating with different musicians, right? So this could kind of maybe be do you think you're kind of maybe creating your own little space where you can create these collaborations all the time? I mean, I I think so. Just all these things make it's just kind of ridiculous because these are the the same thoughts I had in uh, high school and college, and now they're just for the first time they're coming back again. You know, I mean, New York is a great place and it's a great place for musicians, but it is hard to collaborate with people, mm-hmm. not only due to space and whatever, but it's time scheduling and everything. So you're right; it is there are there's a there's a few amazing musicians there. I mean, like I said before, all this I'm just a very competent. Um, rhythm players so as long as we're doing you know you know something pretty simple i can i can i can handle it nice but, you know was was it something where like did you have a moment where you're like fuck this i'm out of here or was it something you've been thinking about doing for a while it's you know just all the things that we're talking you know it's just as prices and space and parking spaces and just cost of living everything starts escalating and then Seeing people leaving, you know. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people either go upstate or a lot just go to the West Coast. I have so many, like, yeah. seven friends this year just all moved to California. Yeah, and I tried like California and it mm-hmm. won't, we don't get along. Yeah. Yeah, so I love it. I love visiting, but it's not a, I tried moving to Oakland last year and that was, it just didn't work out. Yeah. yeah. Tough place for the East Coasters yeah. sometimes. It's just yeah. such a different, I feel like people go out there and they envision this, like, this oasis of new opportunity when it's really just kind of the same shit with better weather, maybe, you know, and then the vibe and then your just vibe is so off. Like it's hard to harder to maybe connect with people and stuff just because the, I noticed that sometimes when I think I'm being funny on the West coast, people just think I'm being a dick. Yeah. And that's like the East coast, West coast thing. I'm trying to be like, you know how it works out here. If you're not breaking somebody's balls, it probably means you don't like them. You know, it's almost like a, it's like a thing here, you know? And they don't get it. Yeah. They get scared. Yeah, they don't want their balls broken. No, they don't. <laughs> they have very... They like to hold on to their balls. They do. And gently. They and like gently, gently. And it's a lot of tech people who, and I don't mean to speak badly of tech people, but I think that they need their balls broken because they haven't, you know, everything, they have special buses in San Francisco for Google people. Right. You know, they don't, they don't mingle, you know, uh, and they're in, they're in a bubble in literally, like not even a metaphorical bubble. They're in a literal bubble. And so, you know, you just have these people that are kind of, that haven't found out about life and they might not ever right. find out about life. And they think they're working on like the most important stuff. Like yeah. they think what they're doing is changing the world, which in it's, some ways I guess it is, but it it's is. also like that must give you such an inflated sense of like yeah. this guy at a rest who's working at a restaurant, like what the fuck is this guy well, doing? The, and those companies do it intentionally, don't they? I mean, yeah. they, they build these cultures and they want people to identify with the culture. They want somebody who works at Google to be like, Google. I'm Google. Like I'm Google all the way. I believe in this. And I'm like, that's not that they're doing a different kind of investment. It, it almost feels like they're trying to build society. They're trying to build culture. They're not just like running a business. I mean, that's probably why they think they're better is because they have a lot more money <laughs> than at least me. <laughs> and in that way, they're better than me because if, you know. Well, they're richer. Yeah, I mean, and they can afford, you know, they can afford to live in San Francisco, right. which is nuts. Right, right. Um, 
I always wonder what it would be like, would that change me? Because I feel, I use this statement all the time, but I'm always like, oh, first class is such a ripoff. Like, what a joke. The first time I was ever in You're first class recently. Man. I'm not a rich man, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, this podcast, it's beautiful in yes, here. Yes, it is beautiful. This <laughs> yeah. is a very nice favor that we get to do it in here. Um, I don't own this studio, sadly. Oh, really? Yeah, first time I sat in first class, so people are getting on the plane, I'm like, look at these cheapskates. <laughs> like, filing back to coach. That's me 99% of the time, but as soon as I'm in that seat for one second... Uh. My ego you look down just, on us? A hundred percent. But literally, it was for four hours, and then it's like, uh, that's me for life. Oh, and now you're just better. Now, no, no, no. I, it, oh. Literally, I just had that power trip while I was in that position that I didn't earn and I shouldn't have been in. And then once I'm back in coach, I'm like, yeah, this, those people are idiots. Like, what a waste of money. So but any, it's like... Like if you're in a limousine or in, oh, in a first class or anything, you just... You just you think we're scum? Automatic yeah, elitist. Yes, yes. I'm an automatic elitist, but it happens so infrequently, and I'm and I can feel myself doing it. And I'm so like, you're like Dude. a biannual elitist. Yeah, maybe but we can call you. But it makes me wonder. I'm like, I wonder if this is what you were used to. If you just feel this way all the time, Cause, I got because I have so much objectivity. You know my my reaction couldn't be farther from yours. Really, the first time I sat in first class, I was riddled with guilt. And I'm sitting in this seat and everyone's walking by me and I couldn't even fucking look at him. I'm like, head in my hands, being like, oh man, I don't deserve this any more than these people. What did I... uh." You seem like just a much more grounded person. (laughs) It it upset me almost being there. And I almost wanted to play the martyr so bad that I would have just like given it up. But that being said, I'm a big guy. You know, close to six foot four. I've ridden in a lot of fucking planes now these days with a lot of people's heads right on top of my balls. Nice. You know what I mean? I've literally got out of a plane recently with a fucking bruise on my knee from the drink cart smashing me while I was sleeping and my my non-recline trick, which is pin your knees to the back of someone's seat for the first good 30 minutes of the flight to make them believe their seat is broken and does not recline. It works a lot. The only backfire is sometimes you'll get up to take a piss and you get back and they're fully down. I can't recline. I, if there's someone behind me, I just can't do it. Because I'm like, it doesn't make me that much more comfortable and I know it's going to bum them out. I and know. just I can't. If we're all in tandem, though, and yeah. we all recline at the same rate, That's it doesn't true. matter. Maybe your legs, I mean, you just seem tall. It probably doesn't matter if you recline a little bit. Yeah, I mean, 0% or 100% is is always a little uncomfortable. I feel like, you know, it would be nice. You know how it's like subway courtesy if you see like an old woman or a handicapped person to be like, here's my seat. You know how that's like courtesy. It's it's yeah. like written in code. I don't want people not to recline. I want them to speak to me. Right. I want them to turn around and be like, I'm about to shoot back. Like, let me know. See, let me know how I, this is. I, I think you you're know? right. I would rather not recline than have that conversation. You don't oh. want to interact. I just don't. I feel like I'm so bad at talking to strangers. Like in that, like I see. I, I don't know. I feel like if I can just avoid the any kind of conf- huh. chance of a confrontation, I'd rather just not do it. I think that's not good. Well, yeah, it's but just it's another person. But I it's mean, a perspective a I never think about because people don't scare me like that. Not not scare me, but like I'm quick to engage somebody. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, so like we have a lot the of, idea of having that conversation. No big deal. Doesn't matter unless it gets tenuous. That's where if someone's like, "Yeah, fuck you, I'm going back," then maybe this conversation could just go wrong a right. lot of times. 
I don't know. I, How do you feel about I <laughs> had a broken leg for a long time. I broke it on tour from a stupid drummer. Oh, yeah, I read about that. And you were playing on it, right? Playing uh, on I the broken did. leg? I, Sitting. I sat for the rest yeah. of the tour, um, but I only missed two shows. But I had surgery. I still have a lot of metal in my leg. It's only missed two shows? Yeah, it was pretty... It wow. Was, and the show we, we played in Williamsburg, it was from uh, Pontiac, and we missed a couple shows on the way here. Um, someone was pissed that we only played 45 minutes um, when uh, when we played here on a broken leg. And I, and I had this inflated because, like, you know, all the fluid just starts building up. So it was like this really fat, weird yeah. leg. And playing with painkillers is, it's not, it sounds fun, but it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Any, yeah. Anyway, the cool part was the flight part because, you know, I got to, they treated you so nicely. Uh-huh. And, um, and I just love that. I, I considered for years just, I mean, I still have my crutches <laughs> and my, like, my uh, walking cast. And I still have metal in my legs. So it's, you know, it still shows up. So, but I want that courtesy again. It was so, yeah. Um, you sit down, they trade you for a better seat, a seat in front where, right. you know, you can, your legs stretch, stretch out. out. Yeah. And uh, people on the flight are nice to you. You know, women talk to you without, you know, feeling... You know, they feel bad. But I'll take it any way I can get them right. and talk. You get an extra bag of nuts, maybe? Yeah, anything. Like, yeah. oh, free drinks sometimes. Like, whole can? Yeah. Like, they'll go, they'll yeah, go yeah, whole can. can. And it just was, it was a really nice, like, and it didn't, you know, nobody else was put out. I don't know why everyone couldn't be treated that way. Like, right. you know, mm-hmm. yes, I did go to the front of the line, but even just, you know, just the way that the people on the flight and the, you know, the... The flight crew were, it was just awesome. What's the, what's the, like, the metal detector situation with you? Do you have to be like, hey, just a heads up, it's yeah, going to go off? but I you do the thing th- with your arms, I'm oh, right. doing it, you know, and that doesn't show up. When I did that, they had to um, put their finger in my pants sometimes because if they can't, you know, if you keep setting it off, they, then they have to search you physically. Mm-hmm. And that was weird, dudes putting their hands in your pants. Yeah, they went under yeah, pants? They, they, like, really? they like pull back the top. Ooh. It's like, yeah, it's like... I've never gotten that bad. Yeah, it was weird. It was like they were touching my pubic hair. That's funky. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm scared of that. I'm getting more. I, You know, even when I'm... I think it's the mix of having just smoked pot for so long and being afraid of police in general. When I'm going through security, I never bring anything 100% of the time. And I'm still always nervous. Yeah. Every time I go through, I'm like, fuck. I'm just nervous and uneasy, like something weird's going to happen. I think that, the, I feel like now though, like I feel like they're not looking for that. Yeah, they're probably Like they're looking right for there. weapons and stuff. Because I feel like I'm always really careful. And then like two days later, I'll like find some roach or something in my pocket. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, like I had this on me. I have a cousin who literally rolls about 20 fucking joints, puts them in an Altoids case and throws them in his check bag. Every time he travels, he doesn't give a fuck. He's never even been close to getting caught. Yeah, I I guarantee you he will never get caught. I guarantee you if I tried to do that once, I would get caught in two seconds. I had an ex-girlfriend who would sneak weed in her maxi pad, and it was worth it to her. I mean, I even presented it. I was like, is it worth it to you to get caught? She's like, yeah, the idea of getting somewhere weird and not having my weed is even worse. Yeah, see, that's... And she said she used to just flatten it out. Put it on the pad, wear it, and sh- her logic was smart. She's like, "Who the fuck is gonna look in my cooch?" That's what she used to say. And I'm like, "But even with those full body scanners, pre pre, pre full body, yeah, pre, yeah. I had a girlfriend who put it 
inside. Oh, went in. Yeah. 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 And um, she would do that. And I'm not going to say I've never had drugs up my asshole before. <laughs> I'm not going to go ahead and say that. Yeah. I'm not comfortable. No one's going to ask I, you. No one is going to ask you to say that. No, I won't. <laughs> I just can't. I, I would can't. not do it, but I haven't done you it. You haven't done it yet. If, yeah. I was, if, I, if it was a, like, you got to do this for me, bro, or else, you know, I would... If 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 like the, a get him to the Greek situation, yeah. If it was like, Matt, yeah. you're going on like the 311 cruise, and you're like <sighs> not going to know anyone there. Why Why are you putting me on the 311 <laughs> cruise? I was like, what context would I just need weed to yeah. like make it through it? Like, like I have to go on this would, cruise. Would prison be like an okay alternative to not having drugs? Yeah, I mean, I could the do that. The 311 cruise. I, you know, I would do it. It's not like I'm not going to. It's not. I'm not saying I enjoy it, but it's not something like you know. I can take a certain amount of. I want to say pain, but I guess in this, you know, <laughs> anal pain, but I, well, I don't really want to talk about that. No, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I want to change gears a little bit, yeah. <laughs> if I may. Uh, you were saying how you're the competent rhythm player. I feel like you're doing this several eras later, 10th anniversary tour. Yes. Um, amazing record. Oh, thanks. Um, you're welcome. I've listened to it a lot over the last 10 years. Oh, cool. But I feel like there's so many really cool... Guitar part, like I feel like in so much trouble and stuff, a lot of these kind of like single note kind of chimey. Is that, I know I, I've watched a lot of videos of you and like um, KXP and stuff where obviously like you're saying playing guitar and then you have someone else doing that. I mean, but do you write that stuff for the record or how does that work? Half written very slowly. Okay. Um, half of it's, you know, was written at the time by a great guitar player, Brian Pearl, uh, just for that record. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a lot of fun because people just came up with parts really quickly and we thought it was easy to do that when, you know, the next record you turn around and then it becomes impossible to come up with those parts. But everyone, I don't know, I remember listening to that, to mixes. We recorded that in uh, Bearsville, New York, which is near Kingston, where I live in. Um, I remember like in the winter, we're all listening to mixes in the van and being like, this isn't terrible, you know, and <laughs> it was an exciting, I remember that night you know, as well as I remember anything. And, you know, so, uh, I'm, I'm not answering this question. Uh, competent <laughs> guitar player. Yes. Well, what's interesting about that record too, is like, I've always liked it, but when the anniversary tour came out, I was so excited, but I was also like, I didn't realize that, that was like, kind of like an iconic record for you. Cause I feel like you've had so many kind of releases. Does it mean, is that one that people tend to gravitate towards or is that your best-selling record or what's we did a we did a thing for this album emblems which came out a year before that 10 years okay 11 years ago so um and every night you know it was it was a it was a lot of fun the tour and but every night people would would say oh i wish you were doing several hours later you know which is nice to hear because <laughs> it's really hard to play an album from beginning to end mm -hmm. and also you know just because they're, I don't think that they're really made to be played that way. So, you know, and to bring people along, the the thing I like about this one is it's, you know, it's it's a lot more upbeat than that. So there aren't these kind of sad, slow, boring, drooping canyons um, as the last one. So, and then we had an album coming out, and we like finished another album. I thought, what a great idea! We'll put out an album while we're touring on an old album, and we'll cross them. But it's probably the dumbest um, or the hardest idea I've ever come up with because it's just so much information, mm. like musical information too. All a little at once. overload, maybe. Totally. And then you know, these days, 
you have to do things more and more yourself and there's less and less money. So it's like how to make all this stuff work is, is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? I mean, have, it's just, have you guys ever done any full album type shows or tours? Not yet. No, not yet. No, no. We've talked about it. Not really opposed to it, but I think the same thing as you. I mean, like, you know, I, I have a hard time envisioning it because every time I'm thinking about um, a track listing for a record, I still always consistently think about it as vinyl. Like, I still think track one, track five closes side A, track six opens side B. And there's something needs to happen in the middle of a record for me in order for it to make sense for vinyl. And, like, I think weird, just weird little things like that would clearly be, like, antithetic to the way you would want to write a set list to, like, keep people paced and maybe keep, you know, things. So I, I could see that that would be difficult, but we haven't tried it yet. And our, our records are really short. We'd probably have to do two to make, like, a whole show out of it. I saw... Maybe uh, three. The first one's, like, 35 minutes long. I mean, that would be yeah. that'd be a shitty show. <laughs> I saw Alkaline Trio. I played fast too, so it'd probably be about <laughs> like 20, 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Alkaline Trio. They did four nights, two albums oh, right. a night. Yeah. But it was so weird because they opened with their newest album the first uh, night and played the new album first, and it was like crickets. Right. And then they played like the first record and like literally didn't have it, didn't say anything between them. And just like if you were a stranger walking the show, you'd be like, why two is different. this band headlining? As soon as they went to the first song, people went crazy. Huh. But it was such a That's... weird. I think I think they went like. Newest, oldest, newest, oldest. So I think by the middle, it was like middle records. Everyone's fine, mm-hmm. but it was such a weird vibe. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate because to hear because I was thinking of doing like okay, we're gonna the first two songs will be like coming attractions. Of like, uh, yeah, <sighs> I'm not I, saying that it would be that way for you. Well, I mean, everybody wants to hear what they want to hear, and even in the middle of a song, they'll just yell. You know, and some of our songs are pretty quiet. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, just yelling like, play specs, you know, which is also an even quieter song, you know, and we get that a lot. Like, really? I want people to have a good time and I want audience participation. But I mean, I remember just last year at the auto or two years ago at the auto bar, some guy was singing so loud from the audience um, <laughs> that it was louder than us. And we're a five piece <laughs> We have electronic guitars. And you have microphones. We have ah. microphones. Some pipes on this dude. You should have signed them up. <laughs> yeah. Woo. But, and I, you know, it was kind of psyched, but people around, you could see people were like, there was a little circle, not in a good way. And then between songs, he would go, you're not very good. Oh. And. <laughs> but and singing everywhere. I don't know how to heck, like treat that heckle. Yeah. Like I like a good heckle. Right. You know? It's fun. It's kind of like, you know. I have a microphone and you don't, so I can make fun of yeah. you. And I can say anything I sure. want. And you just sound like a kind of like a voice way off, man. It's just like, you know. But this was one where I was like, I just don't know what to say. Like, you love our music. Yeah. But you hate me. Hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can't tell sometimes when people are like yelling. I'm like, I'm like, you mad? I'm like, but you're right up front, which means you definitely waited. Like, it's cold out today. You definitely waited to be here. And you're definitely standing there and you definitely are singing along but the second the music stops you sound like the biggest prick like well ever. i think there, especially with your band maybe since i think like this happens to a lot of bands that get sort of like i feel like this happens like the whole steady and like 
even like the Mars Volta, it's like once you get sort of a little more mainstream and you get that kind of like not jock, but like I think there's a different kind of person that comes to your show mm-hmm. who's like makes it kind of a bummer to be around. <laughs> you know, it's different, and that's where I try not to be too self-righteous. To talk shit about your fans. No, or never. never. Just, this is all my opinion. It's actually interesting because <laughs> the, the problem that's been happening lately is you're right. Like, like once you start going anywhere near the radio or anything like that, and especially if you come out of like a real indie college punk hardcore scene where like there's sort of this built-in code of ethics to all these things. You know what I mean? There's this understood way you act Someone and there's falls, an understood them up. code to the show right. in a lot of different ways and the thing i've been seeing recently is like you know maybe a 35 year old woman out with her friend on a date night probably had a sitter for her kids knows our song from the radio is posted right up front with a beer and just wants to have a good fucking time at a show and two songs in some 19 year old dude with a you know denim vest and full sleeves just absolutely kicks her in the face. And I've seen this a couple right. times now. And I'm, I'm sure. like, and I'm like, I'm as, you know, me, I grew up in the punk hardcore scene. Like, I love people getting kicked in the faces at shows, but only people who are ready to get kicked in the face or who are standing in a place where they know they could potentially get kicked in the face. She had no clue. Right. And she's just blindsided by someone kicking her in the face. And she's really upset. And I kind of understand her side too. I just don't know. I don't know where the balance is right now. I had to yell at somebody at the last. I literally got out from behind my drums and fucking yelled at some guy in the front row. I'm like, you are bumming me the fuck out. You are bumming all these people the fuck out. I'm like, if you don't like it, go to the fucking side. I'm like, I can't take it anymore. And it's a weird thing going on. I don't really know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of kicking in faces at our shows, you know, but I've seen a lot of shows where people get kicked in the face. Um, Yeah, I mean, you worked at the truck in that time. I'm sure you saw some. Yeah, you would just look over and you'd see multiple swirling, you know, whirlpools of people and carnage. And it was, it could be cool sometimes. And then you'd see, you know, and then Insane Clown Posse would come and that wouldn't be fun. All right, you have to tell me what the vibe is at, like, an insane clown posse Trocadero show. It's so dark. It's just so, really? like, their crew, it was like, have you ever seen uh, Wet Hot American Summer? Yeah. Yes. When Paul Rudd, when Janine Garofalo tells Paul Rudd to pick up <laughs> after himself. Yes. And he just does the whole, like, <sighs> Their whole crew, their... You know, the people that were in the band, band, I'm doing quote marks. I don't want to piss off any, um, you know, what are they called? Juggalos. The juggalos Juggalos, out there that are big fans of your podcast. Yeah, they respect our juggalo listeners. What's your juggalo demographic (laughs) these days? (laughs) But they were just so, like, they pulled out this big carnival tent and they're putting it together. And this part goes here. I don't know where this, and it's all like, it wasn't like... It's like they had a semi for it, but it was a semi so that they could just not fold it up and put it together. It was a semi so that they could lazily just kind of ram it in the back, and then they kind of pull it, and then they get all their things of Fago that they kick at the audience, and kids are getting hit in the face and with bloody noses, and, you know, it's just, it was to adapt at the time. Oh, okay. Their whole show was to adapt. Uh, under a carnival tent and it, you know it was just depressing and then like mopping up fago and 
it just was dark. It was yeah. really dark. Huh. Carnival. And is the crowd like are they moshy? They are, are they but like in a happy? kind of not in a like not in any coordinated way. Like they didn't right. learn how to do this from anywhere except for like I'm supposed to like, you know, some guy will just be standing with his kid and he'll just you know, a, a juggalo will run into them because, you know, you're standing there and not like there's any Okay. Like the etiquette. Right. Like it's just it's just it was just bad. And no cool moves like floor punches or windmills or, you know. Are those cool moves or are we just conditioned to think those are cool moves? No, they're absolutely ridiculous, actually. I have That's a new I, theory about all this. Yeah. I'm over it, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. It was really bad. I mean, I never totally loved that because, I, you know, I would, when I was young, young, I would, I would just always get the shit kicked out of me just because I didn't know. And when you grow up in New Hampshire... And you don't have the internet, then you're uh, a little bit, you know, slower than everyone else. Hmm. You know. So did you grow up in like a real, a small town? Yeah. Uh, I grew up early in northern New Hampshire where there's nothing. And then high school, I went to Hanover, which is where like Dartmouth is. Right. You know, semi-metropolitan for the middle of nowhere. You got the college cultural thing at least. Yeah, which Something. is probably one of the worst cultural colleges in the oh, country. Oh, is it? Yeah, really rapey oh it's kind of a light beer sort of place um it's like lacrosse more like lacrosse oh yeah no totally like lacrosse and expensive liquor oh so like the hats with the fray on the end like the you know what i mean like the abercrombie hats that come with like the little fray on the bill i think so yeah i I think think those all say dartmouth on them yeah that's (laughs) kind of like the lacrosse thing right yeah Yeah. okay they weren't the nicest people and yeah in some ways they're the worst people yeah because they're edgy it's almost like they're educated rednecks yeah which makes them inexcusable right yes they're yeah. the worst yeah i agree with you there because i feel like i can find an empathy with a true ignoramus i can because they just don't know one way or the other i've literally met people like out in the middle of the country that i think i'm their first jewish person and how can I blame that person for asking weird questions? Because they've never met one of me sure. before. And I'm like, all right, ask some inappropriate you questions. You'd be a good first Jew to meet, though. Exactly. Like, pretty easy entrance, and, and right? like if you're meeting, like, fucking Woody Allen or yeah. some, like, neurotic yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So what's it like out here? Yeah, 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 yeah. no. Like, what's the deal? <laughs> Sorry. I love We just went to Woody Allen and Jerry Seinfeld as the first two. <laughs> if we weren't Jews, I feel like people would be like, wow, these guys. Yeah, those... <laughs> but, and, like... And those people I can't blame because I'm like, all right, like they just I'm from central New Jersey. Like I grew up around everything. So I don't have any weird preconceived notions of different races and religions because like it's sort of all mishmash together there. People who don't know, I give a free pass because it's like, eh, you just don't know. And maybe you could still learn. Right. But you're right. It's the people who should know better. Well, they like justify their racism and their sexism. Right. And they learn, they study and and then find ways of either getting away with it or cultivating. Right. It's like, it's the hard numbers argument, right? They're just hard numbers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But not thinking of the context. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So did you, like, when you say you like, you like, used to like fight these guys? No, not, not Dartmouth people because i left there i mean i would get into fights with you know kind of redneck people because you know but my friends were all rednecks and you know that's just the way it was but you know they if you don't drive a truck or like whatever they 
you know, and I didn't blame, like you said, I didn't blame them for, for their kind of hating me off the, <laughs> because of how I looked. But, you know, you kind of had to prove yourself all the time if you didn't wear camo or have a truck or something like that. How did you come up that, like, your perspective was different than theirs? Like, what was the difference? Well, for example, I had to run away from home when I was a kid because my fa- father and mother wanted me to take uh, ballet classes. And this is in northern, northern New Hampshire. And I, was, okay. and I had to. And, you know, and <clears throat> I ran away from home in tights when I was, like, eight. Okay. You know, so. Where did you go? Uh, it was just at this, it was in, it was in Jefferson, New Hampshire. It was this kind of, um, festival of the arts that my dad put on and then they would have like, you know, girls take ballet and there's nothing against male ballerinas, but not in, in Northern New Hampshire. That's rough. And it's not something I was like, you know, Oh, I, I want to be a ballerina. Sure. And at that age, it's hard to justify. It's like, you can't be like, Oh, look how much tail Barishnikov gets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could use that maybe in your teens, but I didn't but. want I didn't want to do it. I, and I mean, I still know my positions, so you know, yeah, that's cool. That is no, cool. not really. You know, I think it's cool. <laughs> you probably have some kind of balance and stuff. I've heard about football players taking ballet. Yeah, that was years ago. Are your toes messed up? Um, no, I didn't take it long enough. I okay. ran away pretty quickly. Okay, you know, I it's you know, but we were we had to take uh, piano. You know, so your I, parents are into the arts. Yeah, and, I was forced to take you know French horn, and these aren't you know, you know, relatable. Sure, with a lot of people. So I mean, looking back on it, are you happy you were raised that way? Sure. I mean, I think that the more messed up a kid is, the better they turn out. I wish they had tried you know more <laughs> fucked up stuff. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, mean, I gotta be honest though, like ballet, French horn. It doesn't sound like that crazy. Yes, it is. It's just not. <laughs> you're. You're not. It just. I'm just not. You got to put it where you are. Yeah, it just right. was not the right, right place and time. I. You know. So what should have you been doing at that time to assimilate I sports just, and hunting? Sports, or? Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to hunt. I. You know, I understand it. My friends hunted. I can see that they did it, uh, but I just. You know there are a lot of other things to do and also you know it's like i really like to read so it's i just didn't have a lot to you know like you can't really have i don't know i didn't have a lot of book club friends yeah. you know so when do you feel like like when you moved like to philly or something is when you start getting some crew like um, people you could relate to or yeah philly's tough though it's a tough town it's like yeah even though you know people they're open to a lot of things that town it has a chip on its shoulder. It's a little unforgiving, isn't yeah, it? And, and, yeah, and, you know, you start doing well, and then people start, you know, trying to take you down. And, mm. and that's why I moved to New York, because, you know, uh, basically, I, all the people I knew here that experienced, you know, 9-11 were, it just was this kind of, you know, I don't want to make it cheesy or anything, but it was, people were looking out for each other. Fuck yeah, yeah. And, and ambition wasn't looked down upon, and, you know... And it was, so I was like, I want to go where yeah. people give a shit. That might even be a pre-9-11 thing. I mean, the idea yeah, sure. of ambition and success is just like intertwined with New York. I mean, just generations and generations of immigrants and these ideas that you were proud to be here, proud of your success if if and when you made it. And I, I know what you're saying about Philly because I feel like New Brunswick was kind of the same way. It's like when you come out of a scene like that, 
it's like the only way to sort of keep it real is to kind of die hungry in that scene. You know what I mean? And like the idea of like getting out of it sometimes is 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 not looked at well. I'm not sure why. You know, I I never understood it personally. It seems so petty and how you should want to maybe get behind people who came out of something that you came from, you know, I would think, but I'm not sure where that comes from. Yeah, you had to act like you weren't trying. <laughs> right. And right. and I love a lot of those towns. Like I love Philly. I love sure. Cleveland. I love Pittsburgh. Like I like the, you know, the towns that have fight. I just wish that, you know, that fight was till the end and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Rocky one where it's like, Oh, you lose. You know, yeah. You know. So I'm thankful about that with New York. Cause yeah. like, like we talked about in the first class section as being a person who's riddled with guilt, any modicum of success is just like scary and makes me feel bad. But luckily being from this area, I have that like 20% of like Wu-Tang clan inside of me. That's kind of like, yo, know, like fuck everyone. Like I'm gonna get mine. Like they're going to get theirs. I'm going to get mine somehow. And that's like this small part of me that I'm glad exists because like, I don't know, you gotta be like, you gotta think for yourself a little bit sometimes. Like if you're trying to do something like a little bigger than yourself, right? Definitely. And it's a hard way to think. Have you ever like come, have you ever had like any issues with stuff like that? Sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I think doubt is what I write about lyrically, you know, I mean, in, in everything. And it's, you know, every time you do something positive and forward, there's just, you know, there's a lot of noise, journalistic noise and, you know, bandmate noise that sometimes will get in the way. And it's just, you know, I don't make a lot of money. I don't care about making a lot of money. I just want to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't feel entitled to do it. I feel lucky to do it. And, you know, these aren't just things I'm saying. I actually enjoy it. I just wish, <laughs> I wish it wasn't like 12 or 16 hour days, mm. you know, cause it's like almost because you have to make it happen on your own. You have to kind of oversee everything is what right. I'm finding out. Sure. Everything I let go of that I didn't watch was some way in which I was getting screwed over by someone mm. with money here or opportunity there so right. now it's just like this kind of um i don't know <laughs> it's just my brain is like there's too many numbers and i'm not good with numbers right you know that's why you picked up the guitar right yeah but <laughs> it's interesting you said doubt because you know i'm like impressed by your body of work you know what i mean there's a lot of songs and clearly a lot of discipline to sit down a lot. And, and I noticed in an old interview, you said that you don't get married to stuff like that, that you'll write it. And then maybe if it doesn't feel right, it just goes by the wayside and something new will come. Do you think that like feeling of doubt is one of the reasons like you're so quick to move on from something you did and do something that you're just thinking about like right now? I think that everyone should have a pretty, a pretty strong critical you know image of themselves if especially i mean at least for me so if something isn't good there is a point where you just stop Mm. you know and and i'm anything that anyone can write or uh, say about me i can say much worse (laughs) about myself you know so 
I think that being able to throw things away is good. I mean, I probably should have thrown away more songs or worked them harder, you know, tweaked lyrics to the point where they were supposed to be what they should be and not just what I thought they were in my mind. Mm -hmm. But I like thinking that way. I like, you know, there's even some add-on stuff and small lyrical changes we're going to do in this tour where, you know, I get to kind of edit 10 years later, which is kind of cool. But I think what you're talking about is in a way is like non-attachment. I feel like that's where like a lot of like disappointment for me at least like comes in when I'm like, oh, like if this thing doesn't happen, then like this girl doesn't go out with me or if I don't play the show, then like, and once you just like don't marry yourself that stuff or you're like, this is just this other thing. It's like, if it doesn't happen, it's not that big of a deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like every part you write is not the end of the world. I think there's like two types of songwriters. I think there's the ones who do what you're talking about, who go over everything with a fine tooth comb a million times just to get it exactly to this point that they feel is perfection or something. And then there's the people who, who write complete and write more and complete and write more. And I find that like the people who do that are in a better situation, especially for music that's supposed to be emotional heartfelt sort of urgent kind of music you know what i mean i could see that process being a lot more functional in pop music you know where you're like it's formulaic and there are ways to do things that could maybe do it but i feel like if you're coming from this place of emotion you're trying to tell stories and you're trying to be real i would much rather somebody who finishes a song likes what they have and instead of going over that song again they listen to it and they create a new song from the ideas they had, not picked apart the one they did. You seem like that kind of writer to me, which I think is cool. Okay, good. I feel like both sides of what you're saying are absolutely true. So it just depends on the song, the time, and the place. I mean, yeah. I like letting things go, but I also, you know, obsess. Doesn't everybody? Yes. Okay, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yes. Good, good. Just I've just started friends. admitting in interviews recently that when I get out of the studio, I listen to nothing but the record I just made. It's important to listen. For know, like a while, like obsessively almost, you know? Yeah, you have to listen. It's this thing you made and you have to find out, I mean, mixing and writing. It's like you are listening to this thing. You better like it. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. and it, for it to, to not be able to admit that would be crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I, our newest, it is hard cause I try, I had to listen to several hours later on the way cause my practices are sometimes listening and, um, visualizing. Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, uh, because as much as I enjoy playing guitar, it's also, you know, I don't want to mess up. Right. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know that's yeah, like, yeah. and I don't know how to keep more than 50 songs in my brain. Yeah. You know? Uh, and like just how to play them fluidly that's the only bummer though i feel like i don't know if you guys do this but like when i'm listening to my own band i'm always thinking about the guitar part i'm playing like i'm never just listening like oh this sounds cool i'm always like visualizing what i'm doing and it kind of takes you out of it a little bit mm. i d like now it does when i mean mixing it's like you know it's just a lot of times it's mostly me and maybe another person so it, i have to you know you have to see it as a 3d thing and and I actually don't, I think about myself, I think about the snare drum a lot. Yeah. Which is crazy. I it, you know, it's one of those things, though. It's like, it's like if you asked me when I was 16 years old, 
how much I'd ever care about snare tone or guitar tone or even anything like that. But like you listen to enough music, you start to hear the way you want something to sound and snares, they're tricky business because they can be really annoying if you don't do them right. I mean, just imagine any other instrument that you just clunk that much and make such a loud, obnoxious noise. Like (laughs) snares are fucking loud. So I, I totally get it. I mean, I feel like with what you're saying, I I think I do it in pieces because when I'm in this like mixing process and when I'm in the studio, I'm listening to all these little parts obsessively, not just my drums. I'm hearing the way it sits with everything else and looking at it in this big scale. And then I think we shut it down. And one of the reasons I listen to it so much after is because I start to listen to it in a different way like where I'm seeing the completed thing. And I'm actually like, I feel like I go through this process of becoming a fan of the record. Absolutely. And then that way it makes it easy to play. It makes it easy to enjoy. And it makes it, it's definitely part of some process. Like, do you you feel the same way kind of? Uh, uh, Absolutely. I mean, I can't even talk. Because that's just, I mean, I just did that. Because it's just analysis, analysis, analysis. And then you listen to it a few times as you're mastering and it's like, Okay, like, this together. is not terrible. I am proud of this, right? You know, and that's 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 a good feeling. Yeah, I mean, and that, and you have to do that feeling. You have to go. Okay, no matter what horrible review, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll get from this. I believe in this. Right. That's a good ask because I feel like I go the opposite way where whenever someone compliments me on something, I'm like, oh, you must just not get it. If you really like understood it, you would realize it's not that good. (laughs) Why? I don't know. (laughs) That's just the way my brain works. It's like, and I can feel myself doing it and I'm like, dude, that's like, that's an insane. Matt, I feel like you're pained by that a little where you just want to kind of like hug Joe. I I mean, I'd hug you. There's nothing (laughs) wrong with that. Um, But, uh. The, you know, the, it took, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I've known that feeling, but it's, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I definitely feel, um, uh, I appreciate and am kind of, you know, what's a better word than bashful? Bashful sounds like a Disney thing, but you know, humble, humbled by, thank you. Sure. So much better. <laughs> um, humbled by a good compliment. Of course. But you know, I don't want to say you're wrong, you know? Like, right, right. You know, It's not like overwhelming where I'm going to be like, no, you're wrong, but it's like there's this little thing in the back of my head all the time that's like you're like tricking people or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's... So you think you're tricking people into liking something that's bad with your or music? Or liking something, Not, and I'm not saying music necessarily because that's like a group thing, but if it's like something I wrote or like yeah. whatever, the web series or the podcast, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. It literally doesn't, and it doesn't matter how good or bad it is. It's just, there's something always in my back that's like, is this good? Like, this person's telling you this, but like, do they hear how this one thing might be out of, like, <laughs> right, right. One, I don't know. Huh. I, I've, I definitely have felt that, but I just, I can't even... It's like there's just so much information now that I can't, if I go to that, then it's kind of like, I don't know, that takes me away from feeling confident about, you know, should I be driving this car right now? You know? Right, right. And, and I like to think of myself when I'm behind the wheel as the world's greatest driver, because I feel like you have to think of that when you're in a, a van full of people that are trusting you with their lives. Hmm. So, you know, in certain situations, you just have to be like, 
I am the person that's doing. I don't know what that means. No, maybe that makes. I maybe that, you know? I think yeah. maybe just believing that will ma- sort of makes you that. Like you, I mean, if, if you have that attitude. That aside, I do have a driving stick next to me um, <clears throat> at all times, and I have a slight uh, issue with um, impolite driving from other people's driving, where I then pick up my driving sk- stick and and uh, shake it at them. And then, or make um, gestures, you know, with yes. my mouth or hands that they can't hear, but they can probably see because I'm pulling up beside them and rolling down my wind. So, those, you know, that's the part about maybe this that, is all a metaphor. Yeah, maybe I that's too this. much confidence. <laughs> you know? What's the stick mean? Oh, dri- you guys don't have a driving no. stick? No. Oh, yeah, oh, you have to have a driving stick. What's a driving this stick? This is the Cleveland thing well, again. It's, yeah. One, I actually have two. I got one by luck because uh, someone, they fixed our, our 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 power windows and they left the tool in to do it. It's a really cool tool. It's a long <laughs> screwdriver with a bent end and it's about... Oh, yeah, the little shim guy. Yeah, it's, yeah. well, it's about like three feet long. And I mean, I, you know... That's, oh, you could brain someone with that You thing. could do a lot yeah. of... So you you'll know, just like wave it out the window? Or like, what's I mean, the- I, you know, you get into some scary situations. You want to have um, means of expressing yeah. your feelings with more than just. Yeah. I feel like you guys are so much tougher than me. Like, I'm scared to <laughs> recline my seat on a plane, and you guys are talking about getting beat up, like waving driving I, sticks. You know, I don't want to get into these situations, but sometimes they sometimes put themselves they in, yeah. in totally. your face, and you know, uh, you know, you'll be in somewhere where you know you'll be getting called all sorts of names and to not and then it gets aggressive and you don't know if how crazy it's going to get and you just want to go back to your car and grab your driving stick and and then have it you know let yeah. the talk continue <laughs> yeah my father has carried a tire iron under his seat for the whole time i've known him a driving stick one. it's his driving stick yeah. I prefer this. I prefer it. For the podcast, you're going to see a wave happening right now. I am the most condescending angry driver. See, I tried that. History. I tried the thumbs up. Oh, I love it. It does. If you can have discipline and you, you got to think of it like this. You know when you like spray your windshield with that Rain-X stuff and then it just sort of starts like dripping off like that? Like that's the way I imagine driving now. You know what I mean? I'm cruising. It's always going to be somebody out there trying to get to you. But I'm not going to let it. And if something so happens... So nobody gets to you. You know what? Very, very rarely, I would say. Very rarely. Because, like, I've gotten to the point where angry people in a car make me laugh. Like, I'm glad I made them angry. And the <laughs> fact that I'm calm and they're angry, I get some kind of joy out of that. Out of other like, people's anger. Yeah. Yeah, out of that t- especially Misguided anger. Especially if my heart stays at, like, a cool... Yeah. Like, I'm chilling, and I just see them furious, especially if it's something they did. You don't think that's sort of like, that's sort of like my first-class superiority thing, though, a little bit, don't you think? Oh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, no? want, I, I try this. <laughs> I try this a little bit. Like, I'm not just, I'm not like, just like, I don't pick up the driving stick all, like, it's on the other side of the car, like, and if I'm alone, I have to somehow put it in cruise control, Oh, you know, yeah, that's a lot get of to the other side of the car it's a dangerous move to move around your car without being at the so you wheel you prefer to avoid the driving oh stuff. yeah like i yeah. i do the thumbs up and i go oh, yeah, okay you know not one car is gonna let me 
get okay. Nobody, you know. Yeah. You have a white, you know, BMW. Awesome. <laughs> you know. See, they're the best ones to do it with. See, that's where. Yeah. I, I mean, I drove around a piece of shit for so long. And I still, I own my car now and I plan to drive it into the fucking ground. Like, I don't care about cars like that. My wife washes my car every time I'm on tour. I tell her, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Useless. I have no interest in you doing this. But she does it anyway. So when I'm in one of those situations, like going into the tunnel with the white Mercedes, I'm feeling cool as a cucumber because I'm like, I don't give a shit about my bumper. And I'm like, you do. I'm like, let's see who backs off first, you know? Yeah. And it, and it usually works. I've literally been in those, like, those situations, those stalemates where two people are about an inch away from each other in the same fucking lane. Waiting for the person who's to... Gonna, I've done it with people for literally 10 minutes where you're grinning at each other. <laughs> it's like a New York fuck see, you. But that doesn't seem fun so as zen thing. as your prior... <laughs> It's. I think it's all based on a very. It doesn't come from a Zen place. Okay. I think it all comes from a very competitive place. Okay. And I think I found a way to win. In my head, I'm winning. Well, that's. I mean, it is all that matters because it's not like, you know, it's the same thing you can translate to the fantasy you have on the road of meeting like women. It's never going to uh, happen. Like the Chevy Chase National Lampoon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're never yeah, gonna. Yeah. It's not the beautiful girls are not going to pull up and be like. Oh, you guys are in a crappy van and we want to yeah. have sex with all of you and they never talk to you again, but we really appreciate it. And, you know, great. Wait, wait, just for the record, this hasn't happened no. to you? No, no. And like, you, you know, you, you wait for it and you get older and, you know, but it's the same thing. Like, you're never going to like, you know, I've, I've never really had that. Uh, that kind of conflict on the road come to any, like, luckily, you know, mm. it's never come to the point where, I mean, I've never used my driving stick for, you know, I've never come running out of my van in ready for battle. But you've waved it. Yeah, I mean, you got to wave it. A couple times. A few times. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your biannual elitist first class <laughs> yeah. thing. Not biannual, like... Your biannual... Stick yeah. swing. Yeah. And like, and biannual, you know, road vacation fantasy never gonna happen. Right. You know. Fun to think about. I mean, there's a lot of time just staring <laughs> at the at the road and you know you, you think it happens these days with like phones? Like what there's some nineteen year old band who's like cruising. They see some like nineteen year old girls. They're probably fucking like tindering each other from the highway or something. It's possible. Yeah. So much easier. It's more now. possible now than ever. Because you used to. <laughs> in order to make that happen, you'd you'd have to mutually pull over to some location that everyone's comfortable with. It seems almost more awkward than just saying hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it would be hard. That's that's. I've never understood that about like cool dudes or whatever like the girl or whatever like i deemed to be cool like i was always so fast in that situation to be like eh, that's just weird i'm gonna stay with like my friends because that's like easier and that's weird you know like it I, is just a fantasy right because the reality of that situation is probably way stupider and trickier than it actually happens like where are you actually having the sex in the van and then like what on the side of the road yeah and then you gotta or, hear about how she like hates her job or whatever yeah she might like, yeah and she might even 
cuddle after or tell you that the drummer was well, better wait, wait than a you. Second. I mean, it's just a biannual fantasy, and you can have it every once in a while. But if you put all these logistics into it, it kind of makes even that twice a year thing not uh, as much fun. I mean, yeah. I thought it would just be like you're awesome. Bye. You know, <laughs> you're skipping like the ten minutes of every. Like it makes me think of this scene from Batman, right? Where Christian Bale. He gets gassed by the uh, scarecrow, you know, and he right. shoots himself up to the top of a building with his, you know, grappling gun. And he winds up there and he just goes, Alfred. And then next scene, Batman, who God knows what he weighs in that fucking costume, is just in the back of a car curled up like this. I'm like, how the fuck did Alfred, Michael Caine, 70 year old man, get... Christian Bale, who's jacked, wearing like a titanium fucking bat suit. How did he get him off this building? And how did he get him into some car without anybody seeing or taking a picture? Okay, so that's the part of Batman that you don't believe in. <laughs> like, that's like, like that's where it's like, oh man, everything else yeah. made so much sense. It seems so realistic, dude. That is incredible. You know what? Maybe actually, yeah. Well, that is the part that bothers me the most. So. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Everything else does seem yeah. legitimate. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> wow, what'd you think of that episode, Ben? That was great. Pretty good, huh? It was awesome. Yeah. That was a fun one. Thanks to Matt Pond for coming by. Uh, he's currently on the Separate Arrows Later tour. And you can also pre-order his new record um, from his website. It's called The State of Gold. It comes out um, in a couple months. We talked about that. Thanks to Benny from Gaslight Anthem for guest hosting. He's um, he's doing stuff with Gaslight. You can check them out. I'm sure you can find it online. They're a huge band. Um, you can also find us online, goingofftrack.com. or on iTunes if you want to leave us a review. You can go to our website. You can donate. Also on Twitter, all that stuff. Um, ben, you have anything you want to plug? Mm, no. No? Okay. <laughs> Ben's around at Rubber Tracks. Yeah, I'll be here if you guys want to come by. Come by. Say what's up to him. Um, and yeah, I don't think I really have anything to plug either. Uh, I wrote the cover story for Alternative Press, 30th anniversary issue, actually. And uh, on Fallout Boy, and that comes out, I think, huh. I think pretty soon. I think they just they just announced it the day that we're recording this. So The cover story is on Fallout Boy. Yeah. So I spent like uh, three or four days with them here a few months ago. Are they putting out a new record or something? They put out a new record a couple months ago. Sold 218,000 copies its first week. It was like the number one record. Yeah, so they're they're doing really well. I remember their last single with the music video with the guy getting tied up or something. It was kind of weird. This was maybe like a year or two ago. Okay, yeah, they came out with their last (laughs) record not too long ago. But it was like electronic? yeah. There was no, like, live drums on it. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of the guitars now are not... They're still guitars, but a little more kind of atmospheric. Like, they don't sound like guitars, so it's not like just riffs. It's more kind of textural. Is it all the same members? All the same dudes. Huh. Yeah. So... Does the guy still sing with, like, an, like, his, like, he's holding his nose? No, not so much. It's, like, a little more... A little more soulful, I think. Oh, maybe really? I think they've oh, all cool. they've, they're all they're all, all pretty good musicians. So it's it's definitely different. I feel like if you haven't listened to Fall Out Boy since kind of like Under the Cork Tree that stuff, it's very different. But I feel like if you've kept up with them, it's you know it's more kind of pop leaning yeah. than like Warp Tory. But um, 
it's cool. It's cool. And they were, it was, we, you know, we did some cool stuff on that. We, I went to the stock exchange. They rang the closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange, so I got to be on the floor <laughs> floor with them. And like, that's we a little did, weird. Did a signing at Vintage Vinyl, and yeah, they wow. they, pl- they played like the NHL All Star Game. Like, oh wow, yeah. Some, they're yeah, they they've done some kind of stuff maybe you wouldn't expect, which I think is sort of the story is sort of about that, and maybe that's sort that's of how cool. they kind of managed to exist. Anyways, I don't want to yeah. ruin it for you, but yeah, check out Alternative Press. It should be out really soon. Um, check us out online. Definitely check out um, Matt Pond. He's a super talented dude. And we will see you next week. All right. All right. All right.